Ready? Okay, okay. <laughs> You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to the Family Feud Podcast. I am Keely, sitting alongside Shotgun Spratling. How are you doing today, Shotgun? I am absolutely fantabulous. Wow, fantabulous. Is that a real word? I don't know. I'm just making stuff up as we go. <laughs> um, we're coming off a win over Oregon State, heading into a very important game against Utah. USC kind of controls its destiny if they beat Utah, so it will be very important. What are, you, what are your thoughts leading up to this game? I mean, I think this is the make-or-break game of the season. Uh, they haven't played well, obviously, uh, and played great against Oregon State. I mean, there are plenty of points left out on the, on the field. There are plenty of points that they could have given up more if Oregon State was a better team. Um, this is the game that decides the season, in my opinion. You know, they either rise from here, they play well, and you see progression, and I think they'll carry that over as they go forward, um, or... We realize this just isn't the team that, that people expected at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, too many holes up front to, to fill or whatever it is. Um, I think we'll really know this team this week. Uh, I don't think they can play sloppy and beat Utah. And I don't think they'll play great against Utah and then suddenly we see a crappy team uh, you know, going forward after that. I think it's either going to be one or the other. You either play well and you continue to progress or we realize this isn't quite the team that, that people had hoped. It's funny because everyone usually says Stanford is the litmus test. You know, oh, it'll decide what the team is, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's always so, such importance around the Stanford game. But I think that actually applies to the Utah game. I think it will actually see what this team is a little bit more than we have in the past games. You're, you're, you seem skeptical by what I'm no, saying. No, I completely agree with you, actually. Um, you know, Stanford is so early in the season that you don't really know. I mean, you look at the team that USC beat against Stanford – and like, oh, wow, USC's really good, and the next season, next week they, they lose to San Diego State. But it looks like that Stanford team might be pretty good. The, that you know, the they, Bryce Love guy, he's, he's okay. He, he's all right, <laughs> quite all right. Um, and then you look at some of the USC teams in the past where they played well against Stanford and then kind of died later in the season. I think because the Utah game is usually, you know, game five, game six of the season, I think it gives you much better uh, idea of where the team is going in the season. And even last year when it was, it was what, the fourth game of the season, they put Sam Darnold in, and you kind of realize, okay, we got something here. You know, things look positive coming off of it. It's a really good observation. I think that, that Utah is much more of the litmus test uh, for this team Partially because of the way the schedule plays out, and yeah. you know that's just because USC has to have the weekender, and they have to play Stanford early in the season almost every time. Uh, I, I think that's partially why it, it's not. If you flip the games on the schedule, I think it determines that you know it would be you know completely flipped. But because of where Utah usually lies on the schedule, it's much more telling of where this team is going in, in the current season. Also, what it means for the Pac-12 South, because last year. Utah game, that was the one that spoiled the the Pac-12 championship game for USC. It'll be interesting to see, like you said, the next two weeks, because then Notre Dame is probably the only ranked team that USC will face the rest of the season, maybe? So, Uh, I mean, the Pac-12 South has been USC and Utah, it seems like. You know, both those teams, one of those teams is usually good each season. And usually, you know, those, those two are battling at the top. Um, you know, Colorado was there last year uh, and made some noise, but you know that was their first time. They've kind of fallen back a little bit this season. Arizona really hadn't done anything under Rich Rod. You know, Arizona State hadn't really done too much against under Todd Graham, and UCLA is kind of up and down. So a lot of times it's been USC Utah and kind of deciding it. 
Um, and you know, it's been, all the games in this this matchup have been really good. Actually, mm-hmm. going back to the the very first Pac-12 game. Uh, when USC blocked the field goal, McAleel blocks the field goal, and I think it was Torin Harris runs it back. The entire USC team comes off the bench, which luckily for USC was not called a penalty during the play because then they gave him an extra, uh, you know, extra opportunity to kick it or something. And then the crazy thing with that game is the, ga- the score gets changed like 45 minutes after the game. Vegas goes nuts. They're like, what in the world's going on here? But yeah, every game has, has been really good in the matchup. Uh, you know, it's kind of disappointing that there's no Adoree Jackson this year. Because he's been really good in the series. I mean, especially at Utah, he w- he's really good. He had both times. He had a kick return for or a, a kick that he took back to the house, uh, and he also like stripped someone on the goal line. I think both games. Uh, so he had like a couple really good. And then last year, he you know at the end of the game, he got beat up by Tim Patrick. Yeah, but not, that's the face I've been giving you this whole time. I know, but he had a really good game up to that point. It's funny for Hurt on the sidelines, I guess you, if you will. I when I, the first time I was at Utah. I always film the opposite side so that the, the USC offense comes towards me and the, the defense, their faces are facing me. And some guy was like, why are you on this side? There's no need for you to be on this side. And literally right after he said that, Adori had the pick six for the touchdown and he ran right towards me. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess I understand why you're on this side. <laughs> so I was like, thank you, Adori. You proved my point. Yeah, no, but this Utah has always been, there's always been something. The Cam Smith three interception game, the Juju taunting Dominique Hatfield game, um, you know, it's just there's always something, always something. Yeah, I mean it's been really good matchup, and uh, you know people don't want to call it a rivalry, but considering the stakes at it, uh, it's been like a rivalry. I mean it's a Pac-12 it South yeah. rivalry, and it's been much more competitive, which is what breeds rivalry, uh, rivalry blood, um, than some of the other matchups that they've had in the in the Pac-12 South. So really quick, I just want to hear your thoughts. What did you think overall about Oregon State, the Oregon State game? Because I don't know how to feel about it and i are you torn i surprise surprise keely's undecisive but is this what happens when your favorite boy band breaks up <laughs> what kind You're of just boy so band torn is that? i don't know no okay no because i think that's how i am with my favorite boy band really yeah who's your favorite boy band nsync was when i was growing up obviously yeah i loved nsync also backstreet boys kind of nah. but i was more nsync no. Um, do I get credit for that? Because I'm kind of young for that, but I, I was a big fan well, of the them. the reason why I listened because I had a younger sister. So I had to pick had older which one that she could listen to uh, because I wasn't going to listen to both of those. So, oh, my goodness. So I went with JT, obviously. Yeah, of course. Can't go wrong with JT. Back on track, though. <laughs> what did you think of the Oregon State game? Uh, they won. Eh, it was kind of eh. And that's kind of what everybody feels. It's like, yeah, we won. They didn't play great. Uh, they left, like I said, they left points out there, and the defense could have given up more points. The defense has been phenomenal after turnovers. Yes. I yes. mean, Chris Hawkins was asked uh, yeah, the other day, "How many points do you think you've given up after turnovers?" He's like, ah, "It's not that many." He's like, well how, "Well, how many do you think?" He's like, "Twenty? No, three. He's like, "I told you it, was, it wasn't that many." <laughs> uh, but but that's part of the reason why USC's been really good is because uh, they've been able to you know limit damage on the on that defensive side. Because the offense just—it seems like they just keep, as I said, the foibles continue. Foibles. Yeah. It—it yeah. it was not very. I mean, you have a ball slip out of Sam Darnold's hand. I mean, he usually is very good with keeping two hands on the ball when he's in the in the pocket. Sometimes when he's outside the pocket, like the Colorado fumble he had last year, where he's trying to make a play. Utah. Um, last so year. Those happen, but in the pocket, he usually is very good at securing the ball with two hands. And this time, he, he lets one go and. It, Great job by Toa Lobanon actually to stop that ball right on the one yard line. It was uh, it was it was close. 
Did your video say differently? Yeah, it was close, but it wasn't the whole ball, so it doesn't I mean, matter. he did a great job of just palming the ball into the ground rather than just trying to dive on it and roll into it. Uh, yeah. Because then he would have kind of rolled in by the time he gains possession, quote-unquote, uh, then it would have been in, in the end zone for safety. Not that it really would have mattered that much. But also, if USC, you know, they didn't score on that final drive, they took the, the knee, kneel, yeah. which I don't, I still don't like. I'm asking you about this later, so don't get fully okay. into it. Um, <laughs> If they score on that, it's 45-10, and you cover the spread. And it looks completely different. Yeah, because okay, 45 really looks a lot. Seven t- I mean, uh, five touchdowns look a lot uh, lot different. Um, a seven. I mean, a five-touchdown win looks a lot different than a four-touchdown win. This is why reason. I'm so split on this game, because I also feel like the results and in in how USC plays against Utah will kind of dictate how we look back on the Oregon State game, because... You can look at it as like, oh, they did their job. Yeah, they had some individual mistakes. Ajene with the the month punt, Darnold with the interception and the fumble. And you're like, okay, that's individual plays, whatever. They they played well, play calling was good, whatever. The or, problem is a lot of them are mm, making these individual mistakes. There continues to yeah, be well, multiple that's what I'm guys saying. If, making If you mistakes. could let me finish my point, I was about to say you could, you could look back and be like, well, they didn't take care of business against Oregon State. Is it one of these games where, oh, okay, you had some mistakes, it's a good thing it's against Oregon State, or is it like you played poorly against Oregon State and you should have done better, and now it, it affects you going forward? I don't think it affects you going forward. Okay, I not think, necessarily that. I don't I know why I said that. you just trash but, that game, but I don't think you had an opportunity to build on something there and build on, get some momentum going forward, but instead I think you just have to trash the game. Like, okay, we beat Oregon State, whatever. I guess what I'm saying, will it add on to the whole – theme of this year as USC has so much potential and yet they're just not they're they are what they are I've already said this is gonna be make or break game this week <sighs> okay you're not, you're not getting I'm, anything else out of me I want to get something out of you okay well let's talk like I said you you didn't build momentum like you, you had an opportunity to build momentum you didn't do that so instead you have to trash that game and throw it away rather than being like okay we played we did this well let's continue to do this I think that's what what's hurt in that Oregon State game Rather, I mean, you get the win, you walk on. If you win out, you're still making the playoff. That's what really matters. Um, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it pretty. It might it be nice to do it pretty every once in a while? The fans, so the fans could breathe for a second. Yeah. Um, but uh, it all that matters. You got the win. And now you got and they got a, you got a lot of guys, some experience. Uh, some guys we'll talk about, I'm sure, uh, in, in our segments. Um, but they got some different players' opportunities. They rested some guys. Uh, it looks like they're getting a little bit healthier going forward. Yeah. So there are some positive take out of it, even if it wasn't the actual gameplay itself. <laughs> All right. With that, okay. stock up. Who you got? Brandon Peely, Randall Grimes, both <sighs> those guys. Burning the red shirts, but for them, that says that the coaches think that they're going to actually participate and that their opportunities are going to increase as the season goes on, yeah. especially Brandon Peely with Marlon Tuipiloto being out, uh, having the season in a back surgery, unfortunately. But I think Brandon Peely is a guy that's going to have to get in there because they know they're going to have to need him. They're going to need him next year to contribute when you lose Josh Fatu and you don't have Kenny Bigelow as a backup as well. Yeah, Peely actually told me that he knew starting the week that he was going to burn his red shirt. He said that Marlon told him that he was just his back was not good enough. So he knew, which was nice, as opposed to like Clayton Johnston, who didn't really know with Toa. Um, you know what else contributed to that? Liam Jimmins. Liam Jimmins actually played pretty good the last two games, but I guess he was suspended. We don't have a, we never, nobody ever got an official word on that. Yeah. But considering he was the only healthy player that did not play in that game, 
uh, that had played previously in the season, I would say that's a suspension. Yeah. Um, Brandon also said that his mom his mom cried when he saw him for the first time on the field, and his whole family was watching in Alaska. He was like, yeah, my family didn't get the Pac-12 network at home, so they had to go to a bar. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, even if you're in Alaska, a lot of people in California don't get the Pac-12 network. I didn't say that on camera, though, but yes. <laughs> well, at least they have the Pac-12 network in Alaska. I was very surprised at that in general, so there you go. Way hey, to go. They got TVs in Alaska? What? What? Um... I had Rasheem Green as okay. stock up. I think he's a little bit underrated. With oh, the... He's vastly underrated. He's yes. been a beast this year, and people don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Because you had the flashy Uchenna, obviously, Christian Rector, obviously. But then Rasheem Green, that steady guy. Um, Alicia, Alicia Deotola, I'm totally botching her name, so I'm sorry if she's listening to this. Mm. Um, she tweeted a stat that uh, last year, Rasheem Green had six tackles for loss um, his sophomore year. Now, halfway through the season, he has 6.5 in his junior year. So he's he's already, he's grown a lot from his sophomore year. He's still not 100%. When he celebrates, he had a tackle, uh, or I mean, <laughs> he had a sack. And when he celebrated, his he was like a little gentle with his ankle. So he's still not 100%, but he's still being a beast out there. There's nobody on that defense line that's 100%. <laughs> that's a I great mean, that point. Whole, I, I, was, I, I think I talked about it um, previously, but... Besides Christian Rector, who's the backup, if you include the actual original starters, Porter Gustin's been out for several weeks. Yes. Uchenna Nwosu had a knee sprain. Yep. Uh, uh, Rasheed Green has twice had, has twice had uh, ankle sprains. Yeah. Josh Fatu, Malik Dorton. And Christian Rector somehow has not injured, which, knock on wood. Wow. Uh, that that Blame shotgun everyone. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't want that. Um, but, you know, a lot of those guys have been banged up, and, and part of that is that, you know, you don't have a ton of rotation, so there's those more opportunities that someone is going to get nicked up, and in the trenches a lot, of, a lot of guys get nicked up. Luckily for USC, it seems like guys are getting healthy. Uh, the ghost of Port Augustine will, will <laughs> to be determined if that if he comes back this season or when he comes back. Yeah. We haven't really heard a timetable like we did with Daniel Amoribebe, who's ahead of his timetable. I thought we originally heard Notre Dame, but then he like completely disappeared, and then we never heard updates on him. Uh, I think it was just Daniel Amore Bebe really? with Notre Dame. I don't remember hearing anything specific on okay. Port Augustine. Well, Who else? Uh, a stock up? I got Jake Olson, obviously. Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, with Damon Johnson being injured, I mean, they could throw Jake Olson in there. I think that'd be really cool. We talked about this on our Facebook Live. He's a big dude. He can handle himself. I think... And he he says that he likes it better when like everyone doesn't hound him and he's just another football player doing his football player things. So I think it would be way more special if you just have a blind long snapper doing his thing. I don't think it'd just be really cool. I think he's good. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> Put him out there. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I had Trayvon Sydney. Um, good one. He had a bubble screen in the first quarter that when looking back, I was like, oh, that was a good play by Deontay Burnett. And then I was like, rewind. 81, not 80. I was like, wow, Trayvon, that was good. So when he's in there, I think he makes the most of his opportunities. And he looks like he's taken over that second slot guy from Valus Jones. He's he's going in for Deontay Burnett when he gets rest. So Trayvon. Yeah, and I actually, you know, because it's 81 and 80, uh, it makes it more difficult to see them on tape sometimes. And, yeah. and I did the same thing. There was one play I was like, Oh, that's Deontay Burnett came back at the. Oh wait, that's Trayvon. Never mind. I had to like <laughs> slow it down. Like, is that a one or is, is that just a zero? That's being you know I had to figure it out. I got Kenny Bigelow as well. I did too. Uh, you know he didn't get credit for the block because uh, Jack Jones got it before him. Uh, Look at my Twitter. I have a picture of his, he got a full hand on it. No, he got the block as yeah. well, but Jack Jones oh, touched yeah. it first. So he's also he gets... Jack Jones flying in the photo as well. So. Exactly. So <laughs> uh, so he gets credit for that. And, and Kenny, uh, I was like, so does that mean you just got to get another? He's like, yep, that's it. 
he was just so excited after the game and happy. It was good to see him with a smile on his face because of how much he's been through. Yeah. He got some opportunities in the fourth quarter to play some, had a big hit on the quarterback. He told me he was a uh, – I was going to say this, for, uh, heard on the sidelines, but <laughs> we'll, we'll just go ahead with it. He's like, I was terrified. He's like, because he hit him, and it was kind of a step. He had, took a full step and then hit the quarterback. But he didn't really extend his arms, so he kind of looked back to see if the referee. He's like, please don't, please don't, please don't. <laughs> That's funny. I, you'd think that you shouldn't look at the ref. When I played volleyball, as a setter, if you do something, you the ref might call it. And my coach was like, don't look at the ref. He's going to call it if you look at him. So who knows? Well, it, it kind of determines whether you can celebrate, though. If you're going to celebrate true. the big hit or that's not. Like, yeah, I got, oh, oh That's always the best when the DVs are like taunting and then they're like, oops. It's you mean a Seth Collins? Oregon State? <laughs> we'll get to that later. No comment. Who else um, you got? I had Jack Jones. Another interception. Thought it was a great play. Uh, Phenomenal break on the ball. He said he. Uh, I talked to him after the game. He said that he read the splits. He thought it was going to be an out. As soon as he saw the the first movement by the receiver to go into his break, he broke at the same time. He beats the receiver to the ball. It wasn't a great throw, but he was actually mad after the game. Uh, <laughs> really? He's mad. He's like. He's like. I saw the replay. I think he said he saw the replay. He's like. I should have stayed. I should take that to the house. Should have made that six points for us. <laughs> uh, and because I kind of asked him, I was like, How did you, did you know how close you were? Did you get the foot down? That type of thing. He said I was just focused on catching the ball first, and then he was mad afterwards because he didn't keep his balance and then potentially run it because I, it could have been a pick six if he if he comes down yeah. facing the end zone. Uh, but very nice play by him. He continues to make strides every game. Yeah, he had a nice. Pass breakup, a forced fumble, like we mentioned, the 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 block field goal, and then there was some mispa- mismatch potential in that game, but he played well. So I mean, he's filling up the stat sheet, and uh, his trash talk continues to do good for USC. I know some people are very upset about it because he got the penalty earlier in the season. Uh, he got that 15 yards back on Seth Collins because of his trash talk led to the taunting penalty. So, see, <laughs> this is what it. Do you think that if if Jack Jones wasn't the player that he is, a little like trash talky, confident in himself, do you think the the fan base would be like, "Oh, wow, he's doing really well," as opposed to now they're like, "Well, it's not good enough, Jack Jones." I don't think I don't believe they ever think a cornerback does well. I think that's what I've come to realize is that a, a college fan base never realizes that cornerback's a very tough job, especially in a defense like Clancy's where. Yeah. They're left one-on-one a lot. I mean, Yakili Ross got burned a couple times in the game. You know, those are all one-on-one where USC's bringing extra pressure. Uh, the pressure didn't get there a ton in this game. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that, that – I don't know if that was partially because they didn't disguise their blitzes well enough or what exactly it was, but I thought Oregon State did a really good job picking up several of those blitzes. Uh, every once in a while there'd be a free runner, but a lot of times they did a good job. USC would bring five or six. They did some zone blitzing. They did some different things. Uh, but Oregon State picked up a lot of those. Mm-hmm. I also have Matt Fink. I did do. <laughs> uh, Matt Fink was was really good. I mean that that run was tremendous. Um, he imagined that. He said he his first play or not his first play, but he imagined his first start, not even start. Um, what do I say? First opportunity. Thank you. That he imagined that specific play, and he didn't let go of the ball. He like he was just running back to the sideline, just holding that ball. Oh yeah, everybody was trying to cheers, and he just kind of had a little sly smile on his face, and he literally was just grasping it to his breast the entire time. You know, he, he kept the kept the ball until probably until the next drive. And it was like, oh, 
Can I just take this one with me, Coach? I don't know. No, I'm not sure what he did with it after that. But the entire time uh, until Jake Olson went to the field, and I kind of went around to, I was trying to get some photos of Matt Fink. Everyone congratulating him. Everyone, you know, Stephen Mitchell gets the 15 yard penalty for running on the field, uh, <laughs> and maybe he doesn't get that penalty if he kept his helmet on. But he was running with his helmet in his hand, so there, maybe you could say that hey, I'm going on the the kick uh, yeah. the PAT unit if you have your helmet on. But that did not happen at all. So that's where the 15 yard penalty came from. I have an obvious one. I don't think we mentioned it. Tyler Vaughn's first career touchdown. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, nice job by Tyler Vaughn's. Uh, that play was, was built on Sam Darnold reading the safety. Uh, if the safety would have stayed up top, you know, they're playing one high look, and if the safety stays up top like he should have, um, you know, on the play action, then Sam Darnold could go to Deontay Burnett, who's crossing. It would have been a 20, 30-yard, uh, or not, what was that, 37-yard touchdown, I think. It would have been a... 15 to 25 yard play for Deontay Burnett easily. It's a well designed play uh, against the defense that Oregon State w- was running. And I'm sure because of, of the film study and stuff, I know people don't want to give T-, T. Martin credit ever, but the offense coaches, that was a well designed play, knowing that they're probably going to get some one high look. And, and uh, you know, they, they got that and they made the most of it there. Mm-hmm. I, and I think Tyler Ronson has really emerged as that reliable guy, maybe the third guy. I'm really curious to see what this wide receiver group looks like now that you have Steven Mitchell back. You have Deontay Burnett sort of banged up, but still Deontay Burnett. And then you have Tyler Vaughn, who now he has that chemistry with, with Sam Darnold. I'm really curious to see how that all pans out. Yeah, and I'm curious to see where Jalen Green fits in. Mm-hmm. You know, he returned from the concussion uh, to practice yesterday. Where does he fit in? I mean, this game they used basically couplets on the outside. You know, the, the two starters, Stephen Mitchell and Tyler Vaughns. Then you had the two backups, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Mortabebe. And, you know, they just subbed in straight, you know, groups together. You know, the two for two. For two. Um, and then Joseph Lewis kind of got relegated to garbage time. And then he came in um, really late. Uh, so I'm curious to see. And he came in with Randall Grimes, who burned his red shirt and got an opportunity. To, you know, I thought... Joseph Lewis might move up after you know a yeah. nice game against Washington State. I thought he made a couple of nice catches. Maybe there was more on the tape that you know we didn't see uh, that he didn't do well, uh, or maybe there was something else we don't, we're not sure. So where does Jalen Green fit in? Do they continue to do couplets and you know we'll sub in? Does he get in that second group with Michael Pittman, or is he behind someone else? Where exactly does that go? Do they try to go with the younger guys as the season progresses more and more? Does his I'm, blocking give him an advantage at all? Uh, I think it depends on the situation in the game. I think like the Stanford game where he played the entire fourth quarter because they were going to run. They ran, I think, I think it was 21 plays and they ran 20 or 19 of those plays or something like that. They only ran, they only threw a couple times in the in the quarter. I think if that's your head, then maybe he's your guy because of his blocking ability. Uh, maybe some other guys have shown they can block. I thought Tyler Vaughn's has done a really nice job on the outside on, on you know a number of occasions on plays that I've seen. So. Uh, I'm interested to see that that uh, how the receiver's position shakes out and, and what exactly happens with it. We'll find out this week. Uh, stock up, my last one, I got Isaiah Langley. I thought he's getting in there. He's subbing yeah. in series um, for some of the guys. You know, it was a couple plays for Iman Marshall previously in a couple games. Now it's, hey, he gets a batch of plays for Iman Marshall or a batch of plays for, for Jack Jones, and it's not just one position. I think they they know that he may need to play more and more. Uh, if they have an injury, I think they're he, he's gained his confidence back from last yeah. year. I talked with him a little bit this week. He said, yeah, you know, uh, that's definitely true. And, you know, I think he's playing with a lot of confidence and he knows he can go out and he can go out and make plays, and that's what he's done so far. I mean, he didn't play great in the Cal game. He gave up a couple catches and did a push-off for a touchdown. But since then, his uh, passer rating against has dropped uh, probably 40 points from since that game. 
Um, he's been really good. And he's, he was right on. Even the ball that was tipped uh, in the last game, or not tipped, uh, Malik Dorton had a big hit on the quarterback, and it kind of fluttered out. And the ball was supposed to go deep against Yakili Ross, and instead it was like right to the receiver. But uh, Isaiah Lang was there to knock it away on a third down and made a nice play there too. Is it bad that I have Yakili Ross on my stock down? <laughs> go for it. I, I don't know. I didn't think it was his best game, the 38-yarder. I mean, the the one the one handed catch is phenomenal catch. Yeah, that's you know, fine. That's tough. Uh, the one where it's just flo- the ball is floating there. It's like a hot air balloon coming down from the sky, and I don't understand what exactly happened. I'm just kind of confused by it because he was right there in position, and they just didn't make a play. It's like he kind of just oh, I knew you can have it. It's like a fair catch, and they're like you're playing in the outfield with with two outfielders. And he's like, I got it. Okay, you can have it. You yeah. take it. I don't know exactly what happened there. Uh, he just didn't kind of, I don't maybe he missed, lost the ball in the sky or something, but he didn't really make a play on it. So I, I don't have a problem with that. I think he, he didn't play his great best game. Uh, he kind of got to stock up, though, in the regard that he has earned more playing time. Yeah, I'll and, give you that. That's a good point. And he is splitting time with a Jenna Harris now rather than just being the backup. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, he's earned his way up, and, and maybe that's the reason why he's on the field for some of those plays is because he has earned some extra playing time. We'll see if that continues going forward. Stock down, I got Michael Pittman Jr. and Joseph Lewis. Uh, Joseph Lewis because he got relegated to, to, you know, being just in the garbage time, didn't play at all um, in the first three quarters. And then Michael Pittman, I don't know if people have realized, but his offensive snaps have declined the three games since he's been healthy. Now, part of that is, you know, the injuries uh, in the first game, but Cal had played 46 offensive snaps. Against Wazoo, he played 27. He only played 19 against Oregon State. So I don't know if he has not gained that trust. I mean, it seems like he's getting healthy, and they put him on special teams for the first time. So his total plays is up there, and he did a nice job on special teams. Uh, we'll see. Uh, like I'm really interested in that wide receiver position just because there's a lot of question marks right now with it. Yeah, which goes into my Jalen Green. I We'll see, where, like we said earlier, where he, he fits in against Utah. I thought Randall Grimes' red shirt being burned kind of was like, a little t- tail, a tip of the hand, if you will, about where Jalen Green sits. Because if you're going to burn his red shirt, maybe he gets more playing time. I don't know. I just think that there's so many wide receivers in the mix now. Yeah, I mean, he's lost his starting position. And yeah. Part of it is due to injury. I mean, he could have had a great game against Wazoo, and then all of a sudden he stays in the starting lineup. But yeah. uh, he was injured in that game or before that game. Uh, so that didn't happen. I got stuck. Yeah, sorry. And that's what the last point is. And now you have, have the point where how much – return do you get in playing Jalen Green versus the younger guys who you're going to have yeah. later on? Uh, and Jalen Green still has another year, so he could come back, and uh, or he could be a grad transfer. That's a potential as well. Uh, there's a lot of different things that could happen. That receiver group, like I said, I'm just there's a lot of things that could ha- go on with that group. Yeah. Um, and that's partly because no one is really, besides Tyler Vons, no one stepped up and said, I'm a dude. Give yeah. the ball to me. Like last year you had Darius Rogers. You know, he played some previously. He played a lot his junior year, but – you know, when you go and steal some catches away, that says, I'm a dude, I'm going to stay in the game. That's why guys like Daquan Hampton and and Isaac Whitney, who are solid dudes who made NFL practice squads, I believe both of them did, uh, that, you know, they just didn't get opportunities last year because you had Juju, who's going to be a a second-round pick, and Darius, who's now signed with the uh, Bears practice squad. Congratulations to him. So, uh, you know, those guys said, I'm a dude. Who's going to step up and say that along with Tyler Vons? Steven Mitchell's made some nice plays, but... He hasn't really done you know anything spectacular, which is what USC needs somebody to do on the outside. Here's my question, though. Does the environment of the wide receivers give an opportunity for someone to be like, I'm a dude, and then play me? Because you could argue that earlier in the season, Tyler Vance was the dude who was like, I'm a dude. <laughs> uh, but what, he didn't do anything in the game. I mean, he had a couple opportunities. He dropped a third down catch in his first game. you gotta, you got to make plays when you're out there. 
Now, he worked his way back up, uh, you know, and got those extra opportunities, especially with injuries, and did great in practice. And we're seeing his – I think his confidence level is going – the reason why he had such a great practice last week and why he made the best play I've, I've ever heard, uh, best catch I've ever heard. <laughs> we're going to hit to that too. Um, this week uh, was because – because I think his confidence is growing, and you know he believes he can catch anything. You know, once you start making a couple catches in the game, you make a guy miss. All of a sudden, you're hyped up. You're ready to go. I can catch anything. Throw it to me, coach. I got. I got you. Well, he said he was asked after, asked after the game against Oregon State. What do you think the difference is that you're actually starting to see the field more now? And he said, I I'm proving in practice that I can. They can trust me, and that I can do it. And so obviously, he's he's really doing it in practice. So it translates. And I think it helps when you know other players in a position group say, oh. That guy made some plays in practice. He gets a couple opportunities. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so now a guy like Josh Monobebe could do the same thing. He makes mm-hmm. a couple plays in the game, and I think he could gain more time because he's just super athletic and you know kind of a freak of, of nature in that regard. Uh, that they would love to get him on the field as long as he can run the right routes and make some plays and make some catches. Bayless Jones the same thing. If he could catch a deep ball or two, you know I think that that those guys would see more opportunities. Then maybe it becomes a whole group of receivers versus starters, and then maybe we'll play the backups a little bit just to give guys a break. Yeah. Uh, I got stocked down. I got Sam Darnold's accuracy. Yes. Um, Agreed. You know, I, I don't know if there necessarily there's something wrong. You know, maybe there's a, a you know, shoulder is not fully healthy. I don't know. But it's not the same Sam Darnold as we saw last year, and the, the biggest difference is the accuracy. I mean, we talked about on the Facebook Live, there was one throw that, you know, right after the Alka-Cedric Ware big play, which wasn't a great throw, but he threw it in an open area, which is what you should do. Make sure you get some, the big yards rather than getting nothing. But the next play, they have a screen. They have dual screens on both sides. Deontay Burnett's open. He throws the ball way over his head. If Deontay Burnett catches it, Michael Pittman had a nice block in front of him. Could have been, It could have ran in for a touchdown because of the way the other DB came up on the play. But instead, Sam Darnold throws it way over his head. It's just very uncharacteristic of what we're used to seeing with Sam Darnold. And that was kind of the thing that was so impressive last year was two things, the escapability uh, and his ability to make plays a- after escaping, but also that he could throw some pinpoint passes. And we've seen it on occasion, but it hasn't been consistent this year. So I got that as my stock down. And that that's the thing that made Darnold and the offense so dangerous last year is that he'd scramble and all of a sudden you're demoralizing the defense oh man he just made this crazy play and they're just marching down the field and now those plays are now sacks or fumbles or interceptions you know what I'm saying and so it it changes the outlook and the feel where defenses are like okay we're keying in let's let's keep going you know what I'm saying it's 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 there's a different feel to it I agree I got I got stock now I got national championship slash Heisman hopes because the odds on both of those have declined um the last two weeks I believe um, Sam Darnold's Heisman hopes are not great. It doesn't help that his receivers ain't caught all the balls, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the interception is going to be tough. He's going to have to you know, go on a run to even be in the conversation, especially with guys like Bryce Love and Saquon Barkley having really big years so far. Um, and then the national championship hopes, you know, USC hasn't played great, and uh, Vegas has responded by dropping their odds. Uh, <laughs> so if you think USC is about to make a turnaround, now might be the time to throw some money on USC as the uh, national championship favorite. There you go. I have a JNA on punt return, which – he had the muff punt. I just don't. It's weird though. Even though his stock is down, he they still had him returning in Cal when he didn't actually play, and they haven't really. They in practice they've had other guys try it, but I don't necessarily think we'll ever see that switch. It's 
it's confusing to me. I don't know. It's kind of kind of interesting. It's um, just kind of a non-factor, which is. And John Baxter says that you know we haven't really got a pitch to hit as far as you know teams are rugby styling and doing different things to keep USC from catching the ball or keeping USC from getting runbacks. Uh, I think I looked up against Washington State. I mean, they averaged like 29 yards in the air on the punts, or maybe even a little bit more than that, but it was just ridiculously low, and they just hoped it bounced and stuff. So those were difficult to return. I didn't really check the Oregon State, uh, but yeah, the, the punt return has not given them much this year, whereas last year it was a true weapon. Indeed. That's all I got. I heard it on the sidelines. You definitely heard it. I saw it. The Tyler Vaughn's spectacular catch on Tuesday is crazy. I mean, it was true heard it on the sidelines because I did. I was turned the other way. I was looking at the... the, the um, you were talking to me. That's what was happening. I was talking to you, but I was watching the practice, <laughs> mm-hmm. the defense practice on the other side. Uh, Brian Kennedy field. I'm blanking on the, the field oh. name. Uh, so I was looking over in that direction, and they were doing seven-on-seven seven behind me, or maybe it was one-on-ones, and uh, Tyler Vaughns makes this apparently a ridiculous catch, and I just hear, I hear you and Ryan both go, ooh, and I was like, oh, my. <laughs> yeah, so both of you guys made an audible thing. And then Jack Jones, Jack-Jack, is like, I turn and look to see what it is. It's like Jack-Jack's looking straight at me. He's like, did he catch that? <laughs> he didn't catch that. Yeah. And he was, everybody was like, yeah, he did. And he, he went and congratulated Tyler Vons on, on, you know, a phenomenal catch, apparently. It was crazy. Best I've heard. Um, uh, I got the what I heard from the Oregon State assistant to Seth Collins after the taunting yeah, penalty. Yeah, that was good. He was like, I hope, uh, I can't remember the, the exact quote, but he was like, I hope I hope that was worth it. You really let your team down, basically. And Creek credit to Jack Jones for, you know, getting into a guy's head enough that as soon as he makes a big catch, he wants to run over and, and get into Jack Jones' face. This is the same, actually, it was the same Oregon State assistant that earlier in the game had to pull Seth Collins away from, uh, I think he was trying to walk towards the Jenna Harris after, like, making, a, like, a four-yard catch or something for a first down. He was like, "What? Why are you going after this dude right now?" But it was the same assistant coach. It was like, I don't know if it's there. Maybe it's the receivers coach or, or just a guy that's close with Collins. But he was not happy at all with him. And Janie is a subtle trash talker. He he does a lot of trash talking. Oh, I, I and give credit both to Jack Jones and Bubba Bolton. A lot of uh, both guys were crushed uh, by USC fans for 15 yard penalties they received earlier in the season. Jack Jones, the guy puts it basically puts his hand in Jack Jones' face. And Jack Jones retaliates, you know, uh, probably after some trash talking previously led to it. Uh, but I think there was an offsetting 15-yard penalty. People were like, oh, I can't, he's got he's to stop talking so much. I can't believe. Whatever. And he got that back right there with the taunting. He's, he's got a couple of 15-yard penalties on the opposing team already. So his trash talk's actually helping USC. Um, so, and then Bubba Bolden, you know, had a similar, um, you know, he had the play on the punt coverage. Where he barely touches the guy and he falls over and he got a you know a late hit or hit out of bounds or something. And people are like, oh, how is he getting this 15 yard penalty? Well, he got one back this game uh, on Oregon State's long return. There was a there was something you couldn't see it on the broadcast exactly, but you see Bubba Bolden and the player that gets called for the penalty are tangled and kind of running around in circles, basically trying to throw each other. And then the guy gets called for a 15 yard penalty. So give credit to Bubba Bolden for for get, causing that. Apparently so. Um, this hurt it. It's interesting. I heard it after the game. Uh, someone in the program texted me and was complaining about the media and the fans' reaction to the team. He was like, I don't understand why everyone's so negative. I don't understand why you guys have to call all these things out. We're doing fine. We're 5-1. and one. I don't understand it. Which made me... So we got into a little bit of a back and forth because I, I don't... I definitely think there is a disconnect between the program 
media and fans. And obviously, we have to be objective. If I if we see things that are weird or we don't like, we're going to say it. We're not cheerleaders for the team. But at the same time, like, I don't know. Do you think that this disconnect is happening? Because I feel like fans are generally angry that there's potential that has not been tapped, if you will. While I can sense kind of from players that they're like, we're doing, we're five and one. We're winning. Like, what else do you want? I mean, in Sam Scrum, he was asked the question towards the end, "Hey, what do you think about this wide receiver doing really well?" And Sam kind of chuckled and was like, "Oh, good, a positive question. Not like he didn't do it like with sass or anything. It was just kind of a Sam, like, oh, good, a positive question." So I, I sense this like, and Cam Smith too was like, "We're five and one." So I sense this thing of like, they are like, "We're winning. Why are you so negative?" While fans are like. Why can't you do better? And there's this like disconnect happening. All you had to text to that person is, do you believe that you guys are playing like the number four ranked team like you were? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty simple. I mean, that's where the disconnect yeah. is. And players will say, hey, preseason, or T. Martin will say, was, was preseasonable. That's why it doesn't mean anything. And he got kind of snippy with, with a reporter when, uh, you know, the preseason poll was brought up. And it's the expectations. And I'm sure the players have expect they want do you want to win a Rose Bowl, you want to win a national championship. That's what they all said, you know, after the season. It's like, yeah. oh, this was great, but we have bigger goals. Do you feel like you're playing worthy of a team to accomplish those bigger goals? That's the question. Fans don't think so. And I agree with that. Yeah. I'm usually a more positive person, but I completely agree. It's like there are things that are not they're not playing well. That's the thing. If they were playing to their best ability and they're just not talented enough, like Oregon State uh, you know, isn't talented enough. Then you say, you know, those guys are really trying hard. When you have the ball slip out of your hand and you throw it back, I mean, when you muff the punt, when you just do things that you can't do to win games against quality teams, that's where the fan, that's where the disconnect is. Fans want you to be perfect. You're not going to be. However, you can play to your potential, and that's what USC has not done so far this season. And that's because I pushed back. I was like, do you really think that you guys are doing as much as you could be doing? And I think where the disconnect is happening is he was like, oh, it'll turn around soon. It'll happen. Whereas fans and media are like, well, you've never, you haven't showed that. You haven't showed that that will happen or that can happen. And I think that's where that disconnect is happening. And as we said earlier, I mean, Oregon State was an opportunity to show progress. It was yes. an opportunity to get some momentum going forward. And that's why I think this is the make or break game. You have to show that progress. And if they show, hey, they came out on fire, they scored on the first drive, which they've done several times, and then they backed it up with a couple of strong drives after that, they made some adjustments. They did this when Utah tried to do that. They zigged when they zagged. Uh, then you'd be like, oh, this is the team that won the Rose Bowl. This is the team that, you know, returned a bunch of guys. And, you know, the offensive line suddenly starts is looking better. These guys are playing like they've gotten some experience this year. The receivers are making some plays. That's the difference. I don't think that people are seeing the potential of this team. And, like, especially the receiver position is, is probably the most glaring thing. USC has guys that can make plays. Are they making a bunch of plays? I mean, they're not connecting with Sam Donald. There's not a bunch of deep balls. You don't see these big explosive plays. Even when they do, you have, like I said, Akasetric where he's wide open and he has to go dive and catch a ball. Yeah. You know, you just don't see the great execution. And that's what I think is the disconnect between the players and the fans. Because players know it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all as long as you win. Yeah. You win the rest of your games, guess what? You're going to be in the playoff. I- I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. If you'd have won all your games, you're obviously going to be in the playoff. There's never going to be five teams that go undefeated. Um, so the, for the players, they know, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter what it looks like as long as we win. But 
if you're not showing progress, nobody's going to think that you're going to win. So that's where fans want to think that, oh, this is our team. We're going to win every game. Like the Pete Carroll years, yeah. uh, you know, they just felt like they had the confidence. And then when they lost, it was just a shock. Now if they lose, it's like, well, that's what they showed last week. I just can't believe this team's not showing any progress because yeah. that's what they've been showing. And that's my point about the whole how you view the Oregon State game. If they lose against Utah, then you're looking at Oregon State like, nothing really happened. So that's my point. Thank you. That was good. You actually, I was able to pick your brain, and you were good. Oh, good job. my goodness. Good job. I don't want to let you have anything. <laughs> keep it changing. What do you got? Uh, keep it the substitution patterns. Uh, I like the way that they rotated some more guys on defense. I mean, you saw guys like Keely Ross splitting time with Jenna Harris. You saw Isaiah Langley getting some opportunities. The defensive line, they subbed in Brandon Peely and Malik Dorton. You know, there's just the only position you really don't see any subs are safety and linebacker. Um, maybe maybe we'll start seeing Levi Jones. I think he plays pretty good when he, he's yeah, been there. So limited, literally limited action, uh, but I think he has plenty of potential. Uh, Matt Lopes has subbed in some. That was more with the the uh, big diamonds they used um, in that uh, cow game. Uh, but he subbed in a couple plays, and Marvell Tell was a little bit nicked up early in the game. But those those the middle doesn't really change on the back ends. Uh, for USC, but I like the fact that they used some different guys and got them, especially with how hot it was on, on Saturday, too. Yeah, I said replacing Ichinuoso and Christian Rector for Levi Jones with Connor Murphy on punt coverage. Yes, that was I think, important. I think that's huge. I think you those guys need rest, and that's where you can get it, so I think it's it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I we talked about it in the Facebook Live, but having those guys run those extra 40 to 50-yard sprints, you know, especially against Washington State, a team that you know, you need them to be fresh at the end of the game because you know they're going to pass a bunch, and those are your, two of your premier pass rushers. It just did not make a lot of sense to me. Now, granted, the Uchenna Nwosu one was because Jordan Isefa got hurt, and he's the primary backup there, but I would have tried to teach somebody up really quickly if possible. <laughs> yeah, I had one versus ones in team period. I think the player, we talked to the defense, they liked it. They liked that they got to go up against the ones. Um, Helton specifically said they did that to mimic the Utah edge rushers. Which makes you, it begs the question, why couldn't you do that earlier? Um, I understand injuries and stuff like that, but I just think it's good to at least have, not all the time, don't do it every time, but have at least like some 1v1s. Yeah, uh-huh. we saw a little, some different things. I mean, we saw the, I believe the edge rushers going up against the tight ends, just kind of, kind of a, uh, you know, one on one Oklahoma style blocking drill. Um, yeah. You know, without the running back, but you know, you saw those guys going one on one, just line of scrimmage. You know, who can push the other guy back? And that was kind of cool to see that. That's yeah. you know, that's a that's a build physicality type of thing. And they obviously think they need something on both sides of the ball there. Uh, besides guys like Uchinen Owosu, who's just a beast. Uh, you have anything else for keep it? Because I'm gonna combine my keep it. Go for it. Uh, so I got keep it and change it. Keep it getting walk-ons playing time. It's always great to see those guys get in. Yeah. You know, the former walk-ons like James Tolan getting some carries, uh, Grant Moore getting an opportunity to play, mm-hmm. and then the true walk-ons like Jalen Jones and Richie Wenzel getting on. That's, it's great to see those yeah. guys get an opportunity. For sure. And then change it is blow somebody out. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of blew out. You kind of blew out Oregon State. No. I mean, he won by uh, yeah. four touchdowns. This is the thing, the potential But it's thing, Oregon State. You could have done so much more. True, which is why I say blow someone out. Like, it would it would be such a shock to USC fans if USC came out and, you know, won by the same score against or against Utah. Yeah. Or if they won by four against Utah and then won by that score against Notre Dame, they'd love it even more. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I would like to see, you would like to see that um, for USC's sake so they can get some guys rest. 
especially now you're getting into the part of the schedule where it was like, okay, now we're really worried about the injuries and not having that bye because now you're halfway through the season. Uh, the injuries hit early. Maybe they get healthy now and, you know, they can build on it and that would be something because, you know, part of the reason why they haven't played great is because some key players have been out. They've lost some key players and key positions. That's one thing they didn't really lose last year. You know, they didn't have the, you know, they had an offensive lineman go down, but Nico Fala really jumped in there. Now someone else has to jump in and, and fill in for Biane. Um, we'll see how those young guys do. They don't have the veteran they can just throw in uh, or they're not playing that veteran just throw in. So uh, that, that's one of the things that would change. I would like to see, you know, them play their potential. Blow well, out. I think it also cha- changes the narrative. You blow Oregon State, somehow you do Utah, Notre Dame, and then you coast, which they still could do. I'm not saying they can't, but yeah, I think I mean, it helps. One of the things last year when they're going through the win streak, they didn't always play great. They didn't play great against Oregon. Yeah. I, you know, um, Colorado Arizona, was almost a loss. That was a tougher team, but Arizona, yeah. I mean, I'm not Arizona, excuse me. Um, just blanked on my head. Arizona <laughs> State, they, they played okay, and they kind of blew them out. And, but Oregon, like, they didn't play great in that game. That game was close in the the beginning of the fourth quarter, uh, and then they kind of ran away and got a couple scores late to pull away, if I remember correctly. But uh, you can do that, and people won't remember that, eh, you didn't play, so you didn't play the toughest teams. You, you, UCLA wasn't that great last year. You uh, Notre Dame wasn't that great. But what they did is they blew those teams out, and it took it, you know, even if you don't play great and you can still win that way, people don't remember that once you have a win streak going. See, can't you see USC somehow pulling out wins against Utah and Notre Dame and then totally handling their the rest of the schedule and everyone being like, USC, so great. Why are they so underrated? Like, isn't that such a fickle college football thing to happen? Well, the, what it's going to take for them to beat the two teams in the next two weeks is them to play better. So if they're playing better, then people will be like, oh, yeah, I think we can beat Utah. Yeah, we'll probably win on the road at Notre Dame. Whereas since they're not playing great, people are like, eh. And even before the Washington State loss, it was still, eh. eh. But if they had pulled that one out, it was a lot less, eh. <laughs> a lot less, eh. The eh scale. I have changed it. Oh, I already said this. Did I say it? Well, I already, a Janet punt return. He's averaging 4.5 yards per return when he actually does return it. Meh. It's kind of a non-factor. Why not try someone else? Who would you put back there? Based on what I saw in practice. See, but here's the thing. Like, Tyler Vaughn's is good, but do you really want Tyler Vaughn's on punt return has, ha, who has the possibility of getting hurt? No. Were you worried about Adoree getting hurt on punt return last year? Well, Adoree is an anomaly, okay? You're going to put, I mean, a Jenna is a starter on defense. I Okay, Tyler actually, Vaughn's no, go through my offense. tweets. Go through my tweets. I think I was not a fan of Adoree on special teams as much as he was. I, th- I think that was an opinion of mine. No. Um, when you're that electric, you return everything. On, on on times when he wasn't needed, whatever. This is a point that doesn't need to be argued. I also had this is kind of like nitpicky, if you will, because I thought the play calling improved, but like there's some things that still were kind of weird. Like they were near the goal line and they had a on a third and nine and they had a QB draw. Like I don't understand. Like just some things are just like weird. Yeah, I don't know that you call a QB draw that late. You know, just putting Darnold in danger in that regard. Uh, maybe that's something they just want to put on film for another team. Uh, and the play would have probably got five or six yards at least uh, if Nico Fala would have blocked anybody. But there was kind of a double team, and you know, once the the left guard kind of went to the second level, Nico kind of lost the guy, and he was standing in the hole waiting on Sam Darnold. So you know, if you don't block up front, things blow up. And that's one of the things. The offense line was okay in the game. 
there are a lot of opportunities where they would get to the second level and they wouldn't hold their blocks. You know, Austin Jackson a couple times, uh, Nico as well, uh, where you know if they they can hold that secondary second level block, then the five yard run becomes a ten yard run or a twelve yard run, and those just add up that much more quickly. Whereas I, I think they didn't do a great job. I thought they did pretty good up front. You know, the front line blocking. Um, so that's going to be a big thing against Utah is can they block that defensive front. I was about to ask you, from what you saw on film, how do you think this quote-unquote new O-line is going to be able to handle a tough... I think I play better. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they played well enough against Oregon State to say, yeah, yeah, I think they can block them. Um, But I don't think this is quite the same Utah defensive front as we've seen in the past, especially if Kylie Fitz is not available, depending on his injury. That could be a big part because... He's pretty uh, has been pretty explosive for them uh, off the edge, particularly. Uh, so, I would like to see the offense line do some more things this game. I also like when they just go straight forward some blocking and don't always pull guys. I thought they, you know, at times they, they did really well with that, and, and maybe that's a product of younger guys. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. The offense line ha- can can prove a lot this game. They can they can show a lot this game if they can can have a really good game. I, my last change it was offensive execution. Just some of the things like we talked about already. Uh, the accuracy wasn't great um, at times. And then there were times, just what I was just referring to, just the offensive line not being able to hold blocks uh, for as long as you would hope at the second level. Uh, but like I said, they did they did fine up front. We'll see how they do against a better team. Okay, two questions for you. One, yeah. how would you evaluate how USC used their running backs against Oregon State? And did it give us an insight into the pecking order of the running backs. Well, and granted, Stephen Carr is not Stephen there. Stephen Carr wasn't available. Um, someone said that USC really gave Ronald Jones a lighter load. He didn't carry the ball much, but he was still in for 38 offensive plays. And the previous game, he was in 43. Before he got hurt, he was in 49, 40, and 34. So it's not like his usage has changed that much as far as participation uh, on offense. He maybe they didn't give him the ball as much. And he had to take the hits, so it's a little bit lighter ro- load in that regard. Um, you know, maybe to keep him a little bit fresher with Stephen Carr being out. Doesn't look like Stephen Carr is going to be back. We haven't seen him at practice uh, participate in anything yet. Uh, so the what happened was Vi Malapai uh, ended up being the number two guy, and in the first half that was it. There was a little bit of Vi, and then that was kind of it. There was no Akasedric wear at all in the in the first half. In the second half we saw Akasedric more, but. We also uh, where oh Akasedric where yes. yeah I thought you said Akasedric Moore and I was like that's not his last name I'm out of just, it wow just putting twenty uh, <laughs> twenty eight and fifty together there. yeah but in the first half Ronald Jones played thirty snaps of offense Vi played six so it was like almost the entire Ronald Jones show and then at halftime they're like all right we'll put the younger guys in Ronald Jones played. Uh, first two snaps after halftime, and then five more the, or six more the rest of the game. He had two carries immediately. He had a 10-yard carry and a 13-yard carry, and then I think he had one more the rest of the game or maybe two. Uh, so they pretty much said, all right, you got you got yours, and now we're going to rest you, uh, save you up for the Utah game. And that's when they went more with, with Vi and Aka Cedric Ware. Um, but it, it appears that Aka Cedric Ware has fallen to the bottom of the totem pole as far as that goes, even though he had more plays than, than Vi over the the actual game, but it seemed like Vi is the guy that's getting in there earlier. So without Stephen uh, Carr, likely this week, I think you'll see more more of the same. Do you think with a weapon like Ronald Jones, they're using him to his full potential? 
Do you think we'll look back and be like, they should have just used Ronald Jones more or mm. highlighted him more? Not right now, because he has like he got up a couple times after the two runs, uh, right after halftime, the first drive they had. He got up a little limpy the first time. The second one, he was more limp, uh, so they kind of pulled him out. Um, I think he's still a little bit banged up, mm-hmm. and he's not 100%, so it's probably good that he's not taking as many hits. And especially, you know, you have the opportunity to, to kind of rest him this past game against Oregon State. Now, if he's healthy, that's the game you want to give him, the 25 carries, and let him go rack up some yards and, you know, make him look good for the potential awards and stuff. Yeah. You know, that's a great game to do it because they were able to get chunks when they were running the ball uh, well. However, if he's not healthy, save him and give him an opportunity next week when you really need him. Last question. How different is this game depending on which quarterback starts for you? I think it's huge because I think USC has to change their defensive uh, you know, defensive plan if Tyler Huntley is because he's a dynamic athlete. I mean, Troy Williams is also an athlete. Troy Williams has great – I think he can run well uh, if he needs to. However, I think Tyler Huntley, the difference is he can make guys miss. Uh, so then you have to maybe you spy with you have to spy like a guy like John Houston. Uh, if you spy with Cam Smith, can he track him as well? You know, going to the outside if they run you know four verts or something. I think he he just presents a different element that you have to game plan for versus Troy Williams. You can just play your normal defense and uh, hopefully Troy Williams for USC's sake. They're hoping that he doesn't have the same game he had last year when he had <laughs> the best game of his career. So yeah, uh, I, I think that. Um, Tyler Huntley back there can cause more problems. I think that's uh, why, if you're USC's defense, you're hoping that he's not back there because he's really opened that offense up. They got a new offensive coordinator this year, I believe, from uh, Portland State or Eastern Washington. Excuse me, Eastern Washington. Uh, so they had a prolific offense there. So you see more four and five wide this game rather than just having a, a workhorse back like Devontae Booker was a couple years ago for him, uh, or even Joe Williams uh, when he wasn't retired for a couple games. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, I think that's going to be more of the attack than the run that USC saw more the past couple of years uh, on the ground. Yeah, makes sense. All right, we'll see. Thank you, Shotgun, for another great podcast on the Family Feud podcast. I'll do what I can. <laughs> Did we? Well, he's Shotgun's oh, going to be late got, for his job. Got a, okay, real quick. Uh, I got a question from Mark. Do you think that John Houston is playing soft at linebacker? Seems to avoid taking on blocks and stuffing run plays. Wow, hard-hitting question from the fan. You know, there's a time he's just not attacking enough, in my opinion. Um, I think that he wants to play clean, and when USC can scheme him to play clean, he plays better. Uh, when he has to work through the trash and stuff, he's not as good. And I think the sign of a really good defender, and particularly a linebacker, is someone that can play through the trash and make plays. There was one play that Cam Smith that was very subtle. Um, he made a play. It was a no, it was just a no go gain or one yard. But he saw a lineman coming, uh, I think it was a pulling guard, and he comes up into the hole, and he just kind of gives a subtle uh, fake to the outside and then dives and kind of rips underneath and then upends the back. It doesn't go for a tackle for loss. It's not a big hit. But he avoided the, the blocker and was able to make a play at the line of scrimmage. And I think sometimes one of the things with John Houston, and I think it's part of the learning process as a young linebacker, is that he sees that um, that blocker, and he either tries to go around him rather than taking him on, and, and he can't do the same type of things that, that Cam Smith is able to do as far as 
you know, negating the blocker a lot of times. I think the blockers a lot of times can wash him out when they get their hands on him and he can't get free as quickly. Uh, but I think he has so much potential because of his ability to go sideline to sideline. But I also, like I said, I would like to see Levi Jones get an opportunity to play a little bit too. I think you could sub him in a little bit with John Houston. I think John Houston would be better with that extra competition. And it's just a couple more plays off. What about ISFA? Has the USC missed him at all? Uh, you know, I think they would have liked to have played him some that last game instead of having John Houston have to play the entire game uh, towards until like the fourth quarter. Um, and so, Isefa gives you the versatility of being able to play either position. Uh, and you know, if you had him, then I don't think you would have seen Cam Smith as late. And Cam Smith kind of gets dinged up a little bit, gets kicked or whatever it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's so, kicked in the arm. So I think not having him just kind of hurts the depth there. And just the fact that they don't have a ton of depth, which is one of the reasons why I would have liked to see Levi Jones maybe play a little bit more in that game, is just in case one of those guys goes down in front of him. Yep. All right. For real this time, thank you for listening to this Family Feud podcast. We'll see you next week. Peace out!